Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Friday Habit. We're good morning, here. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> good. That's right. Good morning. Remember that movie from the '80s uh, with Robin Williams? Good Absol- morning, Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, I'm excited for today's guest. We have Ian Campbell on the podcast. He is CEO of Nucleus Research, where he's responsible for the company's investigative research approach, product set, and overall corporate direction, and a recognized expert on ROI and author of The Value Sale, How to Prove ROI and Win More Deals. So we're excited to listen to him uh, and, and ask him of how we can become better at sales, improve our company's services, uh, can produce better ROI so we can win more deals. So hey, Ian, thanks for being on the, pro- uh, the podcast. Mark, Ben, hey, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Appreciate it. Yeah, welcome. Um, my, my, my son's name is Ian. Um, are you named after somebody or are you Irish? Or Scottish, uh, Scottish, Scottish, but yeah. a, a couple of generations removed. Although uh, I try to stay, uh, I try to stay in it by drinking as much uh, whiskey as I can. So you know, <laughs> nice. Yeah, keeps the blood Scottish. <laughs> uh, that's cool. So um, where are you? Where are you from? Where did you grow up? And um, you know, what kind of got you into to uh, doing business? So, yeah, I'm originally from the Boston area, and I say originally, but really until about three years ago, uh, and have been there. And I started a long time ago as a computer science major, so I'm an old coder at at heart, uh, and have spent more than enough times uh, compiling and and, and creating code code over the years, and went on to marketing, and then went on to one of the big research firms, uh, and then left there and started Nucleus uh, in 2000, which... I'm told it's a long time ago now. So uh, <laughs> I know that's uh, what's crazy. I'm thinking like, man, it's 2024. This is nuts. Like 2000 was 24 years ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, yep. it was a long time ago. And actually, I was reminded of it because um, I was at a birthday recently, and one of my staff members suggested that we buy a defibrillator for the office. And I think <laughs> I'll have him killed later. But uh, I thought that was uh, that was rather uh, gutsy. Uh, yeah, it's like, oh, it's, it's pretty. So when you yeah. got into computer stuff, I mean, you're doing like punch cards and Cubase and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, a little past that. So, so not that early, but but early enough that I I, I do know how to actually uh, code and assembly and all of that. I haven't okay. done it in a long time, and uh, but yeah, just just past punch cards. Although I'm not sure that gets me anywhere. Uh, but then, you know, really did did that for a while, and then went on to uh, to kind of marketing the business side of technology, yeah. and uh, you know, again started started in the research world and went yeah. So there. then, so how did you get into the research world? So I'm assuming you were working for for other companies or you know corporations or whatever and uh at what point were you like hey i think i could do this on my own and make a better living and grow a team and have a more autonomy and freedom and all that kind of stuff boy isn't that the big the big challenge for anybody starting a business it's that day where you say not just that i could do it on my own but i'm going to do it on my own so you know you leave a well-paying job where everything's fine and you 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 walk out that day and say 
hmm, I, I, you know, I, I've got to trust that it's my own instincts and my own ability that's going to get me that next paycheck. Uh, that's a big step. I think it's a big step for anybody. And uh, I mean, I think it's a big step for everybody. I remember uh, I was at IDC for about a decade and working there as, a, as an analyst and moved up to a vice president role there. Uh, but I remember one day going up in the elevator, realizing that I, I said to myself, you know, one of these days I'm going to take this elevator down. It'll be my last day walking in because I've decided to do something else. And I think like anybody uh, who starts a company, you you find a hole in the market or you find something in need and you say, I think I can fill that need. And, you know, we published the value sale in June, which is about ROI. But if you think about it, we all at our core said, I could do something better for my clients, which is really a value message. You're in business today because you think you can do something better, faster, right. cheaper. And everybody who starts a company says not, oh, I'm just going to charge more money and do the same stuff. Uh, they say, I'm right. going to do it better somehow. And that's the mm. core of every entrepreneur has a value at the reason why they started something, no matter what they started. They knew they could do something better, cheaper, faster, but better for a client. And yeah. that's really a value message. Yeah, and so when you were first starting out, did you come from a family of entrepreneurs, or did you um, just take take that leap of faith? Did you already have some clients like lined up, or people that said, "Hey, we'll come with you if you leave"? Or how did that um, transpire? Yeah, I'd like to say I had clients that were, that were lined up, and no, it wasn't wasn't even that easy. Uh, it uh, really started out with uh, I'm going to do something different from what I was doing uh, before, and uh, really focus on a different segment in the market that I thought wasn't being addressed. And uh, I just started, uh, just turned on and started call, calling clients and say, this is what we're doing now. Um, you know, there was a lot of thought to it. I wouldn't say that I walked into it without really planning uh, what I was doing. And um, I remember spending a fair amount of time uh, doing what what's traditionally called a market segment map. So where is the hole in the market? Where is something not uh, filled? And then how do I fill that in a unique way? And so to something else we we stuck with or I stuck with as, as a company was I stuck to a brand. So I knew what the brand would be and I stuck to that. So while we're a research firm now, and think of us like a Gartner or a Farce or an IDC, we're very much like that, but we focus on ROI instead of just opinions. But we've always focused on value. And because of that, people think of us for value research as opposed to market share or opinion or anything else. And even though we could do all of that, certainly we have opinions about technology. We right. don't publish that because that would undermine the quality of our brand. So it's sort of like, you know, somebody being a creative and then saying, oh, by the way, I can also do oil changes on your car on the side. Well, mm -hmm. you know, it sort of undermines your core brands. <laughs> right. You know, maybe you want to st start up a, a separate company that does that rather uh -huh. than say, you know, we do everything. And by sticking with that, it made it a very defensible territory and really carved out what's the defensible territory and stuck with that. And mm -hmm. we've, we've really done a great job of staying within what does our brand mean and it's been a lot about why we're still here 20 geez, gonna be 24 years soon um uh, yeah so yeah, yeah it years seems later. like there's that saying right there's riches in the niches and yeah. it's hard i think a lot of times too when when as entrepreneurs like a lot of times a lot of us have a lot of different talents and abilities and skills and uh, and so it's kind of like you're always chasing the thing that's going to bring in a buck. And so it's hard to um, sometimes sticks with your value. Like, OK, you know, when we first started, I remember, you know, Brand Viva really came from like, oh, hey, we'll help develop your brands, you know. And within the first year, I just remember being like, I hate 
developing brands. You know, like I, I, I really don't like doing these deep dives and and just the 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 philosophical idea. Like this, it's too complex. You know, it's like yeah. that's not our specialty. What we do really well is make you look bigger than you are. We can make really polished content and uh, you know get you out there. We're not doing like a, a three month deep study about your brand and like what the voice and all these other kind of things. And so. I quickly started to think like, man, I'm going to be unhappy if I keep building this company, you know, in this this vein. And so, you know, how do you think someone can start maybe focusing in on um, recognizing their value and then not being distracted by all the other things that they could do in order to keep pushing forward into that segmented area? Yeah, I mean, that that's, you know, Mark, you, you kind of hit the nail right on the head there. You know, the number one thing to do is to decide what it is that you like to do. And, you know, they say, well, if you do what you like, you, you never actually work. Well, it's kind of true. Um, it, but if you do what you like, you're going to do a great job for your client. And your clients will always be satisfied because you'll be enthusiastic about what you do. So forget about you. If you're doing what you like, your clients will always have a great, a great um, right. experience with you. So... The first thing I did in, in starting Nucleus is, what do I like to do? What is my strength? What do I like to do? How does that fit with the market? And then I'm going to define that role. And, you know, another thing, and I, I think a, a good litmus test, I had a friend who started a company and um, sort of was in those early days, had that, that same sort of, I'm going to take on anything. And he said to me once, he said, well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just doing everything I can to keep the doors open. And I said, well, you know, that's like putting a small patch on a hole in a, in a boat. In the long run, it's just not going to work for you. So if you get to that point where you say, I'm doing what I need to do to keep the doors open, take a long walk because you can afford a few hours in a long walk and rethink what it is that you should be doing and then refocus back on, I need to do the things that will help me grow my business, not I need to just do everything to bring money in. Because if you're just bringing money in, that's a treadmill. You're just going to run mm -hmm. until, you, until you wear out. And it is a losing, a losing proposition. You'll never win that because you'll just wake up one day tired and frustrated. Um, but what you need to do is walk away and say, okay, what I started this because I knew there was a hole in the market. What do I need to do to get back to that that point and then grow that? And you know, just conceptually, if you're saying you're doing something to keep the doors open, you're not keeping the doors open. Yeah, that's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. yeah, the fox that chases two rabbits goes hungry. Right, right. So, so all right. So let's let's talk a little bit about and kind of walk us through the process of the value sale. Um, one, maybe talk a little bit about. ROI, you know, I, I know what ROI means, you know, it's like return on investment. So what what someone's going to be spending for your product or service, right? And then what, um, how, how that product or service is going to benefit them in order to make a profit or whatever, to justify the expense of that investment, right? Right. And so I guess, um, can you talk a little bit about ROI and maybe what you've seen or how you see companies think about it or CEOs or executives or however, how they're constantly looking at that ROI metric and like why that's important. Yeah. So, I mean, we all talk about ROI. Things have to have an ROI, but sometimes we, you know, it's easy to get confused about what that means or think it's more than it really needs to be. And, you know, I start the, the book by saying, if I told you, you could make money raising baby alligators in your bathtub, would you do it? <laughs> Uh, and we all go, it's the same math, right? We all say, uh, that sounds silly. And then I go, wait a minute. What if I told you $5 million a year? Oh, okay. Well, maybe okay. I, might, I might raise some alligators. Yeah, okay. There, and it, it's funny because there's a point where you go, 
sounds good. And there's a point where your spouse says you're a genius, right? Even if it's the only bath bathroom you have, even if you can't open it, just say, look, we're going to raise baby alligators. You have to go down the street to the gas station, use the bathroom there. You can't use this one for the next year. And they're thinking you're like the smartest person in the world. Yeah, because you, you did this baby guy. And not only that, you didn't just buy a box load of baby alligators from, you, from me. You bought as many box loads of those as you could. And you're probably renting other apartments somewhere to be able to raise baby alligators. Because at that kind of return, you're in. And the point here is that, of course, it's an absurd example, right? But the point here is I didn't tell you anything about the product. I didn't tell you it, it, it's a great pad, didn't tell you it's fun to play with, right? Didn't tell you it comes in, in green and, and no other colors. Uh, I told you nothing about a baby alligator. I, I didn't say, oh, it's an alligator, not a crocodile, totally different. One's a pointy nose, one's round. told you nothing about baby alligators. But I did tell you, you could get value from it. And you, as a buyer, said, I'm in. So I turned the funnel from one where I'm pushing you through that, you know, sort of that old challenger style way of let me get them to the next stage, right? Let me, let me be aggressive. And I turned around and said, if I show you value, you're going to, going to pull yourself through. And it, it's, it's pretty easy to do that. Now, ROI is a calculation. Yeah, how do I calculate ROI? Take the initial investment, divide by, by the net benefit. But let's think about ROI a little bit differently uh, from a sales point of view. I can only do three things for a customer. I can only do three things. One, I can increase productivity. I can decrease cost, or as a byproduct of those two, I can increase profitability. So let's say you're a creative team. And the number one thing you're doing is saying, look, if you go with us as an agent, say, and you don't do it, how much would it cost you to do it yourself? It costs you a lot of money. We're experts in this. We can do this for a lot less money. We'll reduce your cost of doing the same thing because that's our expertise. We're more efficient at that. Ultimately, that's what you're doing. You're reducing their cost of coming up with a new brand design or something like that. If you're delivering a CRM system for salespeople, you say, ultimately, we help your salespeople be more productive because our software helps them to better manage accounts and be more productive. So you increase productivity. So when you're talking to a customer, if everything you say, you can draw back to one of those three things. Because you're working with us, ultimately, we're going to reduce your cost of advertising. Ultimately, we're going to increase your profitability because you'll be able to touch more customers, and we know that a certain percentage of those will convert into sales. So if you're thinking in the back of your mind, those are the three things I can do. How do I draw what I'm doing, what I'm selling to one of those three things? You're going to make it easier for the customer to say, baby alligators, I get it. Tell me whatever you want, but if you're reducing my cost, I'm in because that's mm -hmm. what I really want you to do. So, you know, it's, it's that kind of very simple. Of course, we can go through the math. What is IRR? What yeah. is MPV? What are all these metrics? But at its core, all I'm doing is saying, here's what I can do for you. Let me turn the discussion around from, look, I can create all these creative things to look at how this turns around and delivers value for you. By doing all of this, I can reduce your cost of trying to do the same thing internally, which you don't have the ability to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah makes sense so there's like three things you said it was increased productivity decreased cost or increased profitability so basically that, tying everything back to those that's all you can do and it, it's hmm. it's funny but if you start to think about it that's really all you can do for a customer i can increase yeah. their productivity that's interesting. reduce their cost or as a byproduct of those two increase hmm. their profitability and hmm. everything you do somehow falls to that no matter what yeah, no matter what it is yeah i, I mean so it sounds like way. to me it's a yeah it's a you really need to sit down and think about, you know, how, how, so, you know, for instance, like making a video, okay, how, how is making a video um, fit into one of those boxes? And hmm. I think there's some things that almost seem like 
philosophical, you know, like, well, if your video looks real legitimate, it's going to increase the, um, you know, brand presence or it's going to increase your trust. I mean, I don't know. So I think there's some things there which make it a little bit complex of, you know, how so, do I fit those kind of things, some some of these creative things into one of those and, three things. And that's a great thing because so, sometimes, you know, the challenge sometimes with creative is um, I'm trying to come up with the ROI of advertising. Mm-hmm. And what's the value of advertising? And the reality is you really can't do that. You can try to do that. You might do tags and say we can, you know, we, so many conversions, whatever it is. But you have to go on the, on the assumption that as an organization, they want to do some form of video creation, some form of advertising, whatever it is. Okay. Now, they have two paths. They can do it themselves. They can work with you. If they do it themselves, it'll cost them X. If they do it with you, it'll cost them Y to get to the same level of quality. Right. That's mm. really at the core of what they're trying to do. So mm. if you've already decided that I need a video, that's it. Now, if they don't know that they need a video and they say, well, you walk in saying, listen, your advertising is terrible. I want you to do this in a different way. Then what you're saying, what you could say is, look, we look at your old videos and look at the quality of those videos and look at the quality I can give you. We can convert twice as many people or we can get you twice as many uh, click-throughs or whatever that is. Again, mm. still a number, a number that I can relate to some form of value in some way. But you know, no matter what you do, it's still driving it back to, can I increase sales? Can I reduce costs? Can I increase productivity in some way? What mm. can I do among those things? Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So if, let's say, um, so I, I build websites for a living. So let's say I'm working with a client and I'm trying to sell them a website. Typically I give them a package price. I do kind of like productized pricing. Yeah. But what kind of questions would you recommend? I, what kind of information should I learn from a client in order to help them know whether investing in, in us is going to get a good ROA for them? You know what I mean? So it's like things like, should I find out like what, uh, how many customers they currently have coming to their website, how many are converting and then estimate like a new conversion percentage or what are some examples of things I should learn to give them so, a better uh, so realize- estimate? You realize you've got, uh, so Ben, you realize you've got two yeah. things that you're looking yeah. at. So one yeah. is why, why should they do something? Right. And then the other is why should they do it with you? So think about which question we're trying to answer. If they already know they need a new website, then the question they're trying to answer is why you over somebody else? And that's really more of a competitive thing. We can do the same thing at a lower price. Mm -hmm. If if they're not sure, I don't know if I need a new website. I like the old website. Everything's fine. Hmm. Then what is the KPI? What is the metric they're using? that has got them thinking about why they should talk to you. Because hmm. they're not coming to you with no idea. They know right. it's what's not working for you today with your website. Well, what do you feel you're missing out on? I'm missing hmm. out on conversions. Okay, how can we better help with the conversions? Well, there are too many clicks or this. It's a conversation. Where do sure. you think you're having problems? Otherwise, hmm. you're walking to somebody blind saying, I think your website's terrible. I'm gonna give you a new website. Right, you right. can do that. Um, but you know, it's funny, uh, it, it, that's called the, the, the pain strategy of, of, mm. of selling. There's really four, four different reasons why people buy. One is painful. And I, I, I relate that to saying, if you're selling televisions, uh, and you use the pain strategy, then what you have to do is every day you call everybody in your city and ask them if their TV's broken. Mm-hmm. And if it is, then you can sell them a TV. Well, it's a pretty inefficient way to sell them TVs. So the better way right. is to wait for them to come to you and they're looking for TV already and you say, hmm, mm-hmm. here are the different models I have. So mm-hmm. which part of the question they add? Are they at the question where they're not sure they need a website or at the question right. where they're not sure you over somebody else? It would be the second one. Pretty much everybody comes to us, they're already coming to us knowing they need a website and they're comparing us to a different option potentially. 
right? Yeah. And ultimately, that's a cost question. Because ultimately, mm-hmm. what they're saying is, it's going to take me X amount of days to get this website up at, mm-hmm. at whatever Y cost. So how are you cheaper, essentially, right. for the mm-hmm. same level of quality in some way? And that's where you show the quality of what you've done in the past relative to other folks and the time frame it's going to take them to get to that same point. So mm-hmm. you need a new website. You already know it. You're considering us and the other guys. Well, here's mm-hmm. what we've done and the quality is X, and here's mm-hmm. what they've done, and the quality isn't as high. So for them, they can't get to even the same level you can. So you're mm-hmm. giving them better quality at the same price, or you're giving them the same quality at a lower price in some way. Right, and I'm guessing costs could also be other things other than money. For example, if we do more of a full service thing versus them having to be involved, then maybe it costs them time more time to work with someone else, but less time to work with us or something like that. And then now that's the productivity thing. Your people will be more productive because they Mm. won't have to spend time with me helping us build the website. I'm going to offload all of that work. It's all turnkey to us. So you're reducing their cost, increasing their productivity because they don't have to spend the time with you. So Mm. it's core. It's still those three things. You're just looking at it, um, you know, a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So I so I have eight things here. I have I got identify customer needs, develop a value proposition, quantify benefits, customize the solution, and then present the business case, handle objections, and then close the deal, and follow up and follow relationships. Is that kind of like the eight phases of a sale? Yeah, that that could very much be it. If we um if you think about the funnel, we, 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 we say there are three stages in the sales funnel. And we can all think, you, you know the funnel that you already yeah. have, right? So you already know the funnel. You, you bring a lead in, you qualify the lead, you align a proposition, you know, how aligned are we with this? Then you give them a proposal, right? So think about the sales funnel, that funnel that you already have, is now having two sides. It has the side that you know. Those stages, whether it's two, five, eight, whatever your organization has for stages in a funnel, whatever you normally go through, right? From the beginning of the discussion down to the close, there's a flow to that. Okay, let's look at the other side of the funnel. The other side of the funnel is the value side. And the value side has three steps. When you bring a customer in, you talk about all the different ways you've delivered value for the customer. So. I know that you've just called us. Here are the five different things we do for customers. We build websites. We help them with microsites. We help them with integration with their existing site. We do all the creative work. We do branding, whatever it is, right? So here are all the different things we do and how we've helped other people. Now we go to the next step. Well, I'm thinking about a new website. And I need to integrate it. Okay. Here are other people like us, like you, that we've worked with that have done the same thing. So you already have references. They're already great references. When you talk to your references now, talk to them about how did that how did the website help you? This new website, we'll stick with this as a as a example. How did this new website help you? Well, ultimately we increased the number of hits, we increased the number of conversions. We what are those metrics that your existing customers already got out of it? Because those references are your most valuable most valuable product, most valuable mm-hmm. uh, marketing product, right? So now, that's step two, right? So we've talked about all the different ways to deliver value. We've gone to the, here are some references like you that have achieved value. Step three is, how will you get value? Here's what it's going to cost. Here's how mm-hmm. I'm saving you money relative to uh, what it would have cost you to do that. So think about those three phases. As you go through the funnel, make sure you're answering those questions at each stage. Don't just get to the bottom and say, oh, right, I need to help you with ROI. 
yeah, it's only going to cost this and it should be cheaper. That's not the way you talk about value. The way mm-hmm. you talk about value is start at the beginning of the discussion with all the ways you deliver value. Other people like them that have achieved value, how they will achieve value. Those are the three stages that you want to go through. And of course, there are different ways. How do I you know, build an ROI case? How do I identify the benefits? All of those things are sort of within each of those stages. But a big concept, you can talk about those three stages and think about that. Don't go to the next stage without making sure you've talked about that value statement. Broad sense, more like them, and then for them. Hmm. So one question I would have, so when I think about ROI, I think about the concept of, as an example, websites again. If I tell the customer, hey, it's going to cost you $10,000 for this website, and I know that one of the, each time they get a new customer, their value is averaged at, let's say, $5,000 per customer. So it's like, hey, over the next year, you could pay off your website if you get two new customers, something like that, right? Right. Um, Do you feel like it's necessary, uh, me as a business owner, to make a promise to them of, hey, this is what you're going to see from this? Or do you think it's enough? Because this is what I typically do is it's similar to what you said, which is show past examples. Say, hey, I cannot guarantee results, but let me show you similar people and other examples. And here's the results that they saw. Like, you know what I mean? So do you feel like it's necessary to promise them? Here's what you are going to get when you invest this. Or do you think just showing examples is good? Or how would you handle that? Yeah, showing examples is good, but you're you're doing exactly the right thing, which is you're talking about payback and not hmm. ROI. So here's a really strong thing. Hmm. Um, we talk about ROI all the time. And of course, you know, the book is the value sales about ROI. Everyone talks about ROI. But the real strength is payback. If we only if we bring in a customer a month, you will cover the cost of this in three months hmm. with hmm. an ROI of whatever the number is. So yeah. now I'll tell you, if I tell you that the ROI of something is 300%, you you go, okay, my intellectual, I know that's good. If mm-hmm. I tell you the payback is four months, you feel mm-hmm. it. You know what mm-hmm. that is. You, you know, oh, four months, I've covered my cost, right? So yeah. you're doing exactly what you did. You're doing what's called, a, well, you take a worst case example. If, in the worst case, we only bring in one more customer a month, you'll still cover the cost of this effort within three months. Hmm. That's yeah. a powerful statement. That makes sense. And you're kind of saying if scenarios, you're not guaranteeing, hey, this is what's going to happen one way or the other. But hey, here's a scenario. Usually we see better than this, but let's say it was this, then you're still going to cover your cost in six months or something. So so the way I would say it is we would say, say expected case, worst case. We Hmm. expect you to cover your cost in five months. Worst case, it'll be 10 months. Don't ever say best case because nobody believes that anyway. Right, so just right. say expected. We expect. We, the, yeah. the accurate but not overstated. That's what we're mm-hmm. looking for. But in the mm-hmm. worst case, if everything goes wrong, you still cover your costs in X amount of months. Yeah. So by taking that, you take the risk away. Because especially mm-hmm. today, um, while I want to go for that home run, today in this environment, I want to cover my costs. So yeah. the typical person is looking to make sure they're not going too far out on a limb. And that decision is based on minimizing the downside as opposed to maximizing upside. And things like payback helps them understand Mm -hmm. that, okay, worst case, five months from now, I've covered the cost of this project, I'm still good. Boy, Mm. that feels great, especially when people are in an environment where they don't want to spend money. So, and then you can say mathematically, look, then here's the great thing. They come back to you and say, you know, the website we have now, it's fine. It's not broken. It's working well. Maybe I'm going to pass on that. Okay. But you can cover your costs in four months, five months, whatever it is. And then you're up. Yeah. It's a pretty good thing to do. Mm-hmm. And you can also say the website that you have now, even if you just built it two years ago, that covered its cost. 
those costs were covered months ago, years ago maybe. Mm-hmm. So you're mathematically, you're fine continuing forward with our new effort because that will further boost your profitability, further mm-hmm. boost your conversion, whatever it is. So think yeah. about taking that approach of, worst case, if we can convert one more person on your website and the average profit is Y, means we're going to cover the cost of this project within X amount of months. So yeah. a great minimizing risk strategy as opposed to the ROI is 300%. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Yeah, yeah, that that makes it so much more practical. I love that. And so if I was going to say that, I, I know I'm getting into some details here, but I think it, it's helpful for me to understand, hopefully some people listening as well. But I think that when I think about, okay, let's say people are, you know, somebody's spending $10,000 on their website and I'm like, okay, I know that they're easily going to get a, a new customer per month and each of those is worth you know $5,000 to them. Um how do you determine what that customer is worth? Is it the gross amount that they pay to that business or is it what you said, which is like the profit? So let's say that their customers pay them $5,000, but they only get to keep 2000 after labor costs, after whatever. How is that how you measure value and say, okay, really you're getting $2,000 per customer because that's your profit. So it'll actually take you five months to recover $10,000. Is that how you think about it? Or do you not get that nitty gritty? Yeah, so, so there's two ways to approach this. One is, yeah. the, is the, the accounting math way. And you're right. Okay. What I really need to look at is profitability. So okay. a good thing to do is not talk about revenue because we know mm-hmm. we're going to make you $10,000 more, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't means nothing to me. The only mm-hmm. thing it means to me is how much am I making in profit? So mm-hmm. you could ask, what's your typical profit margin? Or on mm-hmm. a new customer, how much more profit do you get? Don't even bother talking about revenue because it doesn't mm-hmm. help them understand how long. Um, but the other thing you can do is just ask them. How many customers do you think we need to bring in? And a good mm. way to say this is, um, right here, let me give you an example. It, it, it talks about, we talk about benefits. Mm. And if we talk about benefits, we, we usually talk about benefits as hard and soft. And I want you to, to just keep this in mind. Benefits are always direct and indirect. Never talk about them as hard and soft. So just mm. don't use soft as a word when you talk about benefits because then okay. people say, well, I don't count soft. And now you're, now you're in trouble. Now you've mm-hmm. you hurt your deal, right? So yeah. just don't do that and you won't hurt your deal, right? Just yeah. don't mention it. Just say, hey, they're direct and indirect. And then nobody says hard and soft, right? So, okay. but, but you should think about benefits as really being four kinds of benefits. And here's what they are. We, we call them first, second, third, and fourth. A first-order benefit is a direct reduction in cost that I believe. So if I tell you, hey, if you go with us, we're going to manage everything. And because of that, you can get rid of this other company that you're using to manage the servers. Okay. What do they cost you? $1,000 a month. You mm. will save $1,000 a month, right? That's a very emphatic benefit. I know what that is. I can count sure. it. It has very little variability, and it's very believable. A second order benefit is one that has a hedging word in it. So we expect to be able to reduce your cost. So if you go with us and you outsource it, you should be able to fire one IT person. Okay, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. It's sort of like, you know, my daughter says, I cleaned my room or I plan to clean my room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one I believe, the other one, not so much, <laughs> right? Yep. So think yep. of it as, you know, one's 100% believable, one's 70% believable, right? Um, that's a second order benefit. And I'm okay. trying to give you an idea of what's strong. Strong ones are those, I cut you cost, right? Another one is I intend to cut you cost. A third order benefit is an increase in productivity. And the example I always use is we all, we all have a phone, right? We all have a, a mobile phone, a smartphone. And if I asked you, does the smartphone make you more productive? You would say yes, right? Probably. Mm-hmm. Probably makes you more productive. Now, 
I could ask you, how much more productive are you with the smartphone? And you would say, I have no idea. Yep. Because you don't, right? <laughs> yeah, so I've right. asked you a question that I know the answer of, so don't ask that question. Mm-hmm. The other way to ask the question is to say, if you have this smartphone in your hand, do you think you're at least 3% more productive? Bad mm. mark, you might say, yeah. yeah is it yeah. 5%? Mm. You might say, yeah. You know, if it's, is it 10%? One of you might say yes, the other one might say, eh, I'm not so sure. Is it 20%? One might say, could be, and the other one might say, absolutely not. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a bell curve. I'm walking you up that curve to try to figure out where you are. Do I need mm-hmm. to figure out if you're 10% more productive? No. I'm trying to sell you a phone. If I can mm-hmm. sell you a phone at 5%, we're good. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's use that as the website example. I could say, if you had this new website, how many more sales do you think you would have? Mm-hmm. We've had other customers who were able to increase their sales by 10%. But what does it feel like for you? Mm-hmm. You don't care what the number is. You just mm-hmm. care that they believe a number that's high enough to justify going f- going forward in the project. This is an art. You're not making the perfect business case. It's not going to hang up in a museum anywhere. Nobody's mm-hmm. digging it up a thousand years from now. It's just a piece of paper. So right. if they feel comfortable with it, you're good. Now, a fourth word of benefit is a long and rambling story. Right? I'm going <laughs> to sell you an acorn. You can grow a tree. If you grow a tree, you can make wood. From the wood, you can build a house. Then you can sell the house. You can make a million dollars in profit. Hmm. Okay, that acorn is not worth a million dollars. Right. So, you know, because I could have turned into firewood at any point. So the whole thing falls apart. So when you mm-hmm. start talking about how somebody did something magical with your website, eh, you're, you're making sort of a, a disconnected story that may or may not happen, but, you know, right. that's right. no good for you when it comes to justifying a decision. So right. when it comes to calculating a benefit like how much more productive will you be, better to take that what we call bottom-up approach. What does it seem like for you? If hmm. we did this for you, how could it help you increase sales? If we use the number you believe, then that means we'll cover the cost in five months. Hmm. Now I'm using their numbers to justify their decision. And I don't have to say, here's the R. It's their numbers. Do I care if it's right? Biggest mistake you can make is trying to make the perfect business case. You can't hmm. do it. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can if you're a financial person. That's great. But, but for sales, you can't do it. And right. what I always tell everybody is, Every business case you create is wrong. It will never be right. Hmm. It's always going to vary. So no matter what number you come up with, you've got a 50-50 chance of being high or low. But the chance of it being exactly that, it's not going to be it. It's never going to be it because things change. Yeah, that's interesting because I always assume it has to be the perfect mathematical business case and I have to take into every account on their end. And I'm like, I don't want to ask all the questions I have to ask to get in their business and figure out how all their stuff works. They don't even know what their profit margin is on their product. You know, how do I how do I give them an actual correct calculation? You're saying that's almost impossible and kind of irrelevant. It's more like we have to make it obvious that it is worth what they're paying for it in their mind that they understand, okay, I do estimate this. They come up with a number themselves. So it's not you pitching them some wild number. It's more like, Hey, what do you think is reasonable? And they probably know their business well and know that, Hey, if I did have a better thing, then I actually think I could make this much more, which might be more accurate than my own estimate of it. And then based on that, we can give them a, a better idea. 
it's more believable than your estimate. They're going okay. to believe that that number is at least that, if not better. And here's another, right. here's another tip. Okay. There, we, we've done almost 2,000 ROI case studies in nucleus research. So we do them every day. That's really our, our bread and butter. We talk to customers, calculate the ROI from their deployment, and we do that every single day, and we do that accurately. So every case study is done the same way. We have a strong methodology. It's all done the same way. Here's a tip. Never more than five benefits in any deal. Every hmm. deal is driven. There's two benefits. There's two reasons. One or two reasons why somebody does something. Two or three reasons why they support it. After that, there's nothing. So if you're trying to sell somebody, stick with the website. I'm trying to sell somebody a new website. They've come to you for one big thing, maybe <laughs> another. There's two yep. or three other things they'll get out of it. After that, yep. you're talking too much. Because yep. after that, the benefits are so small, it doesn't matter. So identify those one or two benefits. And think about a CRM system for salespeople. I'm making my salespeople more productive. Now, of course, it does a lot of other things. But just on productivity gain alone, I justify going forward with the decision. Do that. Don't mm -hmm. overthink it. Because when you overthink it, you make a mess out of it. You add too many things. And that financial decision maker, remember, you, you're selling through to somebody else. I'm selling to somebody that wants to buy from you. That person has to ask for budget from somebody else. You've got to give right. them the sound bite. Why am I doing this new website? I'm doing this new website because I want to increase our conversion by 20%. Worst case, it'll be 10%. Close the deal. But if you have 20 items on the why am I doing the new website, mm -hmm. and that elevator pitch is muddy. They don't know what's going on. Hmm. Yeah, that makes yeah, a lot of sense. Yeah, and I find that that is true that when people come to me, we have a little question, kind of a questionnaire before we meet with them. And it's like, you know, what's the main reason you're getting a website is like, oh, I'm embarrassed of my current website. You know, I need to bring in more customers or whatever it might be. And, and typically one of them stands out way beyond the others for that person. Yeah. And then hey, that's a good point because if you just try to throw everything at the wall, it dilutes your message. And then you're like, okay, they're not, they think that all these things are equally important. And they're like, I don't need all those things. I just need this thing. Right. And you may, mm -hmm. you can also ask it a different way. You can say, if a year from now you look back on this project, what's the one big thing you wanted to accomplish out of this? Hmm. Yes, totally. That's a that's right? a great way to ask it. Yeah. Because then they're not, you know, you're not saying, you know, give me the list of the five things you want to do, but just say, looking back on it, we've done this, it's all gone out. What's the one big thing you look back and say, this is why I did this? Hmm. Yeah. That's good. What do you see? You know, I, I'm I'm assuming that you've coached hundreds, you know. Of, of, of sales teams or sales guys, what is one of the, um, you know, biggest pitfalls that you see people making, you know, in a sale that, you know, goes south? You know, often it's adding more to the business case. It's not okay. slimming it down yeah, to like what you really mean. About. It really is. And then the other thing is overlooking, again, those references. Everybody has great customers. You guys all do. You all have good customers. But, you know, your good customers are saying, oh, you know, Mark, man, great to deal with. Love these guys. They take me out to dinner. We have a great time. They were really good to work with. Well, that's good, but that doesn't help you close a deal. Next time you're talking to your reference, just say, what are the two big metrics? What are the two things we, I really did for you or this really did for you? Did, I, did we reduce your cost? Did we, uh, are your customers more satisfied because they have the better experience? What is the thing that we did for you? And that feeds back when you use them as a reference. So cultivate those references you already have. I mean, we do it with our own uh, customers here at Nucleus. We just say, you know, looking back at a year later, using a case study, 
you know, how did that help you? Now, you know, one of the things we have is they say, oh, no, it doesn't help at all because they don't want us to charge them more the next time around. But the reality is we hear back, oh, yeah, you know, we use you all the time. We hear from their sales folks. And that helps to say we've helped drive deals. Uh, I was sitting next to somebody who... Uh, one of my clients, we were at a, a conference. I was, he, he realized where I work. He goes, oh, you guys have helped us close so many deals. And I said, fantastic. I want to use you as a reference because yeah. ultimately that's what we do as a company. So, right. you know, think about those references. There's a lot of gold there that you need to mine just a little bit better just to make sure that they know what dials you were able to turn so that they can then feed that back to your next customers. And don't be afraid to write those up as examples. When you write up an example, it shouldn't say, you know, these guys are really great to work with. It should say they reduced our costs. They were able to get a mm. website up in five months. They were able to uh, help us convert more sales. They were get they specifics. were a core part of why we increased our, increased our sales. If you use those numbers, it becomes a lot easier for the next person to say, oh, right, we're a pharmaceutical company just like them. Maybe they can help us do even a fraction of that. That'll justify why we should do the project. And remember, yeah. I'm only doing a couple things. All I'm doing is reducing cost, increasing productivity in some way, or increasing profit. That's all I'm really trying to do for them. Right. Man, this is this has been some good stuff. I'm, I'm like, I need to go back and listen to this this episode again because <laughs> I I think there's a lot of gold in here, and uh, some of the stuff you've shared already has been like just has making me think of like, okay, how how am I positioning us, you know, as a brand and you know, when I do have conversations, how do I communicate that that value, um, you know, back to them? And then even even, you know, the, those three things that we're focusing on, I'm, I'm, Ben, I'm thinking that might be a good like, you know, like on a website, the journey yeah. that someone takes if you're taking them through that journey on a website. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That seems really, really great. Well, Ian, thank you so much for being on on the Friday habit, hanging out with us. Um, Mark, ben, really appreciate it. Thank you guys very much for having me on. Yeah. And uh, Ben, what are your key takeaways for, for this episode? I've got a lot, but I'm going to keep it simple here. Um, one thing you said, Ian, that, I, that was really helpful is you kind of broke down. There are three things you can do for a customer. You can increase their pro productivity. You can decrease their cost. Or as a result of those, increase their profitability. Uh, you also suggested a couple questions you can ask which were if you could ask your customer if we did this project how many customers do you think you could bring in uh you also mentioned um that when people are trying to buy something from you usually they're doing it for one big reason and don't talk about more than three benefits or you delete your message and then finally you said you could ask your customers a question like this looking back on this project after it's complete what's the biggest reason you say you're glad that we did it and that'll help get to the core of what they actually want out of the project yeah there you Absolutely. Go. Ian, we like to leave people with a action item, something that, you know, on Monday morning they can hit the ground running and, and improve um, their business. What, what would be that action item uh, as it pertains to um, ROI, uh, you know, value selling? You know, you're in business. If you're working today, you are delivering value. That is absolutely true. So think about what are those two things, those three things that I do, I do for customers, because one or two of those are what you're going to use in every deal. But start to organize. You've already got that in your head. Think about, you know what? At its core, we do this, this, and this. That's what we really do. And start to weave that into every message. But try to identify those two, three things that you do day in and day out for customers. If you're in business today, you do deliver value. It's there. You just need to figure out how to turn that into a message. That's, that's great. If people wanted to connect with you or find out more about uh, you know where to get your book and things like that, what's the best place? 
So the value sales on Amazon, you can certainly get it there. Jeff Bezos tip makes a lot of money from that. So uh, <laughs> I want to support him as much as possible. He's uh, go to the, <laughs> go to the value sale.com. Yeah, you know, you got to give a pitch. Uh, go to the value sale.com. There's a lot of great research there. You can always reach out to me in Nucleus Research. That's my day-to-day job uh, where I'm CEO here. Uh, so Ian and Nucleus Research, look, if you have a problem with value or with selling or anything, uh, I'm here. Send us an email. Send me an email. Always happy to help. Always happy to answer questions. There's a lot of great stuff on the Value Sale website as well if you want really the details on financial metrics. But this is easy. Don't overthink it. You can definitely do it. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to The Friday Habit. If you go to thefridayhabit.com, you can find show notes for this episode. There you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. And at the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. And if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have a question or a topic you'd like us to cover, don't forget to record us a voice memo and send it to hello at thefridayhabit.com. And we'll talk to you then. That's right. And until next time, live every day like it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs>